1: The Field to 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vince intercepts a pass, breakaway for the
2: freshman guard. He flies and slams. Aerial assault from Judah Vince. Looking to go back door to Bell. They get it to a mere corner three, knocks it down. Chris Bell, the sharpshooter,
1: bringing you everything you need to know out of the 315.
2: Up top, Williams surges ahead, up with the right hand and in. A pretty up-and-under move from Benny Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor. He skips into the lane, puts up a floater,
1: and drops in. Let's get it started with your host, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Ghanamowitz. We are back here on red is the new orange Syracuse takes down BC looks ahead to UNC this Saturday at noon. We'll break it all down for you. Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gdamwitz. You can give us a follow F68 underscore Cuse on Twitter. Johnny's Twitter handle is Johnny G Witz and mine is I Unzi underscore. Don't forget subscribe on YouTube to the field of 68 for the after dark show live reactions every single night to the newest and latest in college basketball and also the Field of 68 podcast network where you can find our show as well as many other team-based podcasts. You've got Louisville, you've got UNC, you've got Duke, plenty of other ACC coverage and national coverage there as well. All right, Johnny, let's jump into it. Syracuse beats BC, 69-59. to The first half was an absolute blowout. Uh, SU led by 10 at the half at one point it was 28 to nine but Boston College started to put it together late and then made the second half run that we've seen other mid-major teams make against SU at home but now you're punching against someone your own size and BC comes back and takes the lead before SU closes the game out
2: I'd be lying if I said it wasn't concerning But what did we say? And we said, find a way to get the win, right? Go out there and make a statement amidst this tough schedule, this tough stretch that you're in right now in sort of a weird atmosphere with students home on break, just find a way. And I'll commend them for doing that. And, you know, you sort of gloss over the first half because of the fact that BC flipped the switch, but I want to focus on that first half because if it wasn't for those first 20 minutes, this very easily point. would have Fair been point. a loss, right? That first half defense was stellar. Syracuse had 13 steals in the first 20 minutes of the game. I know you mentioned what, 28 to 9? At one point, it was 32 to 14, right? Boston College went on an 8 0 run to end the first half. They cut it to 10. It was 32 to 22. And I think that's where a lot of their second half success stems from. Right. We talk about all the time the importance of ending the first half on a high, right? Getting some momentum on your side, going into the locker room so that you feel like you're in a place you can go out there and do damage in half number two. And BC set the table very nicely for themselves by doing just that. This was
1: Syracuse's game with a first game with a different starting lineup. Naheem McLeod out with the right foot injury, which now is probably going to be some prolonged thing. Um, obviously, we don't know if it's going to require surgery, if it's going to require a long rehab process. But
2: the team used the word indefinitely, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Whenever this, this happens to big
1: guys, yeah, I mean, Peter Carey last year went through the same thing where he just had a lower body injury and it was prolonged, and it it just ended up at right, surgery, shut it down for the season. Especially when you're seven foot four and big bodies aren't meant to move like that. And he, I think we could kind of see on the floor that Naheem just wasn't moving that comfortably. And yes, we called him slow. And and it's pretty obvious when you watch the game, but he just didn't look that comfortable out there. On the other hand, Judah Mintz is, is benched for the first nine minutes and change of the game for what Coach Autry called just a little violation of team rules. So this isn't a Benny Williams situation where he's missing multiple games. But Syracuse... Strangely enough, played very well without Judah Mintz on the floor. The defense seemed to be ratcheted up. People seemed to be a bit more focused. You mentioned those turnovers, Johnny, 16 points off turnovers in the first half. And Judah wasn't locked in when he got back on the floor. I think the second half, Syracuse struggled because A, BC got back to the basics of beating Syracuse, which is going after the rebounds and getting second chance points and then running off screens and using screens to your advantage. And on the other end, Syracuse's only real offense was the Quadir Malik pick and roll. Judah had
2: nothing going for him. This was also a game where you finally saw the likes of Chris Bell step up. He led Syracuse with 20 points, but you're right, Ian. It's a fair point. For whatever reason, Mintz didn't really have his stuff, was only one of seven from the floor. Now, still found a way to impact the game because he got to the line eight times, and that's just what he does, Knocked down seven of them. But it was weird. I think weird is a word that comes to mind for me as far as how this one played out. I will say, watching Quadir and Malik do their thing is a thing of beauty. Like if you're just a fan of like good basketball and crisp sound movement and off ball movement and good spacing and being in the right place at the right time, Gwadeer Copeland and Malik Brown are two guys you really enjoy watching. And I want to read a tweet that was put out by the voice of the orange Matt Park, as far as Malik Brown's stat line from this Boston college game he says, according to the data over a college basketball reference, Malik Brown's line tonight of eight rebounds, four assists, four steals, and four blocks, which doesn't even include the fact that, oh yeah, by the way, he had 19 points, hasn't been done in D1 in over two full years. It hasn't been done by a power conference player since the Nerlens Noel days at Kentucky mm. in 2013. What an absurd stat for Malik to have. I mean, we talk about his versatility. We talk about how many different things he can do. It, it was really on full display, and it seems like, Ian, he's just getting better and better with each passing game. And now with this McLeod injury, you figure the minutes are only going to skyrocket.
1: The reason Syracuse won this game is that Quentin Post did absolutely nothing. If Post hits a few buckets, maybe a three or two, Boston College probably has you biting your nails at the end of the game. Instead, Post is 0 for 4, 0 for 2 from 3, turns it over seven times, and fouls out. Malik Brown was the reason Quentin Post fouled out and turned it over seven times. He was a pest. Boston College's turnovers came in the first half because they couldn't get it into him. Syracuse's right. game plan was pat, was backing off the inbound, not the inbounder. I would say the entry man, and they'd sandwich Quentin Post. Have a guy in front of him, have a guy behind him. They double quick, or Malik would use his hands, and Post would catch it, bring it down, and shoot the gap. Brown would force it out, and there's a steal. Just like Judah Mintz not playing, Quentin Post couldn't keep the basketball in his grasp. So he had no chance to pick up a rhythm and really get himself into the game flow. And he also had two fouls in the first half, had to sit, and he fouled out pretty, like pretty quickly in the second half. I think his last came with five minutes left. So BC played the stretch run of this contest without its best player. I would not be surprised if when these two teams play again in Conti form, it's a bit closer, just because post will probably find a way to make himself more effective.
2: Yeah, the only guy who I would say really had a good game from a Boston College standpoint was probably Devin McLaughlin. Um, 14 boards to go along hand with 15 points. Yeah, Even though Harris was good, but all his points yeah. came at like, that
1: 8-0 run at the end of the first half. And other than that, eh, he didn't really do much.
2: Yeah, and he wasn't necessarily knocking down shots left and right. He did make four threes by the time the game was all said and done. But that's something that I think is interesting in that BC just doesn't have a ton of guys that are capable of taking over a game and beating you, not named Quentin Post. So, you know, if Syracuse finds itself in a situation like this where second half, tight, maybe you shut down the 1A option on the other team, but guess what? Other ACC teams are going to have a lot more than just one guy that can beat you. So when I said off the top of the show, Ian, that you know, it, it certainly is a little alarming, um, I think that's really what I was getting at in that you're gonna see some teams, and it starts with Carolina today, where there's numerous guys that can be even if you neutralize RJ Davis. Okay, guess what? You got three or four others to deal with. Even if Brown takes Baycott out of the game, he gets into foul trouble. That by no means is their only source offensively and defensively. So I'm curious to see how it translates over. Um, Again, the hot starts are great. Neutralizing the other team's best player is great. But you can only ride that formula so long before teams are going to find other ways to beat you.
1: I think for me against Carolina, you got to have someone else besides Chris Bell make a three. Yep. We'll go back to the Duke game for a quick second. Chris Bell was neutralized on a road environment because the fans started yapping at him. And I'm sure the fans in the Dean Dome will do the exact same thing that the fans in Cameron Indoor did. And Bell could easily, you know, lose it a little bit and lose his mentality and lose focus. And so those 20 points are gone in a flash. Maybe you get three or five from Chris Bell. We know this is not a consistent thing. It's just been proven over a large sample size. So you need someone else to make a couple of threes
2: and because I think the you, first name that comes to mind there has to be J.J. I mean, only I, mean, I know he's not a shooter per se, but just got to find a way to be more involved offensively, only two points against the Eagles. Yeah, he's
1: had games, the Georgetown game, where he made a couple of long-range shots and really got going. Or even Judah, if he can play the entire game Saturday and make one or two early on, there have been games where both of those guys have gotten hot and at least made two or three and made the defense respect them. That, that's all you're looking for. But you have to clear out space against a longer, more physical Carolina team so you can run your pick and roll, so Malik can get space inside against Baycott, who will, you know, body the heck out of him and hip-check him and throw, throw his weight around. That's how Armando Baycott plays defense, and he can protect the rim. So you need to create some space inside, and that starts with hitting a three or two.
2: Chris Bell was the only guy against Boston College and who made multiple three-pointers on the night. Only three Syracuse players connected on a trifecta. Justin Taylor was one of five, and Judah Mintz made the only one that he took. I know it's not the identity of this team, and I've used the line before of not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. You play your strengths, but at some point, that's going to bite them in the rear end. You've got to develop some sort of presence just to make teams respect you. Otherwise, everybody's just going to pack it in like we've talked about and force Syracuse to beat them by knocking down shots, and that's something this team hasn't proven they can do yet.
1: Well, we'll see if Syracuse can prove it today against Carolina in the Dean Dome. Tip-off is at noon, and I know we're a bit late today. We usually go out on Friday, but – we wanted to get a special UNC preview with Riley Davis, one of the co-hosts of our Field of 68 sister pod. The pod is the roof, aptly named after Michael Jordan's quote. So we'll chat with Riley after Rob Doster's message from BetMGM.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
1: Back here on Red is the new Orange, a Field of 68 podcast. Ian Unsworth, Johnny Gadamowitz, as always. We've got a special guest to talk about the North Carolina Tar Heels. You can also find him on the Field of 68 podcast network on The Pod is the Roof after the infamous, famous, infamous. I think it's more somewhere in between. That that Jordan quote. Riley Davis, he's one of their co-hosts. He also writes for Heat Check, CBB. You can find him on Twitter at Riley underscore Davis three, the number three. Riley, thanks for taking the time.
3: Absolutely, y'all. I'm glad to hop on and talk a little bit of about Houston, UNC, and get into the matchup, and yeah, always, always enjoy talking about ACC hoops, because uh, our league's under a lot of slander these days. Sometimes deservedly, maybe it's it's a little warranted every once in a while, but, you know, sometimes it's a bridge too far, so, yeah, we gotta stick together in some capacity, at least. Yeah, Goodman
1: was on field of 68 with Gottlieb the other night, calling the ACC some of the worst basketball it's ever been over the past 10 years, so, yeah, we gotta stick together.
3: Man, like, that, I... Got where they were coming from, but like, I, I like, I enjoy most of Gottlieb's takes. I love that he'll be bold and contrarian and stick by it and be able to sometimes back it up. But yeah, his takes on UNC, I was like, man, these are these are awful. Like, this Carolina, stop, stop downplaying this Carolina team just because like half of our league is, you know, not good. But
1: <laughs> Carolina's top 10 in Ken Palm just beat NC State and what was kind of a rock fight, if we're being completely mm-hmm. honest, PNC. On Wednesday, but Tar Heels have won their last five games by double digits after dropping two on neutral floors to Connecticut and Kentucky. So, Riley, what's kind of brought the team together? I mean, Connecticut and Kentucky are no no slouches, right? UConn is probably going to be number one this next week in the AP, and Kentucky's fantastic this year with all the freshmen. But especially getting into ACC play, taking down Pitt and Clemson on the road, three straight road games. What's what's mm-hmm. brought the team together?
3: Yeah. After the, the, the Kentucky loss, it seemed like there was a bit of a philosophy switch when it came to our defense. Um, I say, R. got to be careful with that sometimes uh, when it comes to UNC's defense, uh, they switched up some of the scheme, like really throughout the first 10 games of the year, Carolina was switching everything one through five. And I think Armando Bacot generally holds his own when he gets switched onto the perimeter. He's like the synergy numbers would point to it as well. He's kind of really the past two or three seasons, He's been solid in space. You know, he's not really he's not gonna just secede a bunch of points to smaller guards who can blow by him. But Carolina will get in trouble when it would have either RJ Davis or Elliott Cadeau switched on to big men. It would lead to foul trouble, it would lead to uh offensive rebounds. And they have moved more to switching one through four. Um, they've mixed kind of changed up ball screen coverages as well. You're seeing more hard hedges mixed in, you're seeing more traps. Uh, and it's not just like uh switching all the time, but their their communication has also gotten way better too, I think. And you know, that's the thing with with switching, like when we play pickup ball and you switch, you kind of yell and it, you know, pickup basketball is always a mess, whether you're playing at the Y or the park or whatever. And switching is kind of the easy way out. Whereas like at the division one level, I think it requires a, a ton of communication almost stop. you're going to get burned so um they've had a real commitment there and even on top of that i think like there's still been possessions where cadeau and davis have been switched on to big men and, and they've battled a lot better like there's one clip that sticks out to me um from the pit game where cadeau got switched on to blake henson and denied him the ball and you know henson was coming into that game averaging close to 20 a game and, and he's a Carolina beefy held him well he is yeah a beefy right dude, so dude too Yeah, I I don't know what's been going on in the practices that's got them communicating so well and playing such fundamental sound defense. Um, But it started in the Oklahoma game uh, right before Christmas, and it's continued throughout the start of conference play. And that, as a Carolina fan, that's been by far the most encouraging thing to me. Like We haven't had a, a UNC team that would just dog opponents like this and I really can't, maybe like 2018, 2019, like the last time Carolina was a one seed. That's the really my, my most recent memory of them being able to, you know, get after teams defensively.
2: Well, Riley, it's great to be with you. Really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. You know, from an outsider perspective here, you say, okay, year three under Hubert Davis sort of feels Mm -hmm. like Carolina this year, as far as the roster construction has really kind of that balance. I I think for me, that's the word that comes to mind of returners, the homegrown guys, while complementing it with the transfers, while also bringing in a strong freshman class. What sort of was the mindset coming into the season as far as what this team's ceiling could be in 2023-24? And how through these first couple months of the season – has this team performed relative to what those expectations were in the fan base's eyes? I mean, obviously we talked about it, you know, this is a team that hasn't lost a game in going on nearly a month. Now, do you get the sense that they are where they're supposed to be in a sense? They have far exceeded my expectations. I I thought
3: like this offseason, I love the Harrison Ingram pickup. Uh, I liked Cormac Ryan compared to what else would have been available. Um, there weren't too many like three and D guards out there, guard slash wings who could, you know, kind of defend one through three. Um, and with Cormac in particular, he's another guy who's really up to his defensive intensity and focus in recent weeks. But um, those two pickups, I was pretty high on. I love the Elliott Cadeau signing, like, Anyone I know who works in the recruiting world, all of them were telling me, like, this kid is going to buck the reclass point guard trend. He's going to be able to produce. He's not going to, like, fall out of the rotation. You know, he's taken some of his lumps, but I thought against NC State, that was really the best game he had had since he had 10 assists and zero turnovers against Tennessee. Um, But I had a lot of concerns outside of the top five. Like, if you take Cadeau, R.J. Davis, Ingram, Cormac Ryan, and Armando Baycott, after that, in my opinion, it was a ton of question marks. I I like going into the year, I didn't really think either Paxson Wojcik or, or Seth, or excuse me, Jalen Withers were going to be impact players or have much of a role. I didn't really think Seth Trimble or Jalen, Jalen Washington were going to progress like they have. Uh, but since then, like Seth Trimble's become, I think, one of the best six men, if not the best six man in the, the league. Um, I'm sure one of Duke's guys has a case you could say Proctor, Foster, whichever your Duke
2: guard of choice. I, but I'd
1: throw Quadeer Copeland in there if we're being true. A that boss. dude, Quadeer Copeland's
2: been awesome every well, time I've seen Brown, him, If he's coming off the bench too, Syracuse might have yeah, two. Yeah. six men player of the year candidates.
3: Yeah, every time I watch y'all, Quadeer Copeland is making plays. I love that dude's game. Um, but yeah, I would put. I'd say Trimble deserves to be in that. Category. And uh, I think Hubert's figured out how to, you know, get the most out of Jalen Washington too and maximize his offensive skill set and sort of hide some of his defensive effici- deficiencies. Uh, and even Jalen Withers and Corm- uh, Paxson, excuse me, I'm confusing my white guys, but uh, <laughs> Paxson and Wojcik and, and Jalen Withers, like, you know, they're able to get to, to make some plays and in their own role. I think Withers has settled nicely into a 10 to 15 minute a game role where he just has been crashing the glass a lot better and had some key put back dunks. And um so yeah, the, the pieces are coming together a lot better than really I expected. I, I sort of thought this team ceiling was going to be top fifteen ish, like a a four or a five seed in the tournament and they're currently tracking to be a two seed and top ten, top five program. So
1: Well, the the question now is, is UNC a Final Four team? And I think after last year, anyone will take that expectation and sort of that, you know, conversation around the team instead of why are our two best players seemingly pitted against each other 24-7? So R.J. Davis has taken the reins, and he's been fantastic. I mean, the Kentucky game, he was lights out, especially in the second half leading the comeback, and he's been super consistent. Barely is turning the ball over, which I think is huge. Um, How how has he responded to getting the, you know, the load placed on his shoulders?
3: You know, it's kind of something that he really showed flashes of last year. He dealt with a hand injury. I want to say he actually might have injured his hand playing against Syracuse last year. Um, And one of my buddies, Trevor Marks, he does film breakdowns for Inside Carolina. Great site, great work. Uh, Former NBA scout who knows. Those ball knowledge is, is very deep, but uh he would track like RJ's percentages with and without a, a wrap on his hand. And I'm pretty sure last year without like a wrapped hand uh, when it wasn't injured, he was over 50% from the field over like 45% from three. And so you had seen these flashes of high scoring, high efficiency. I think he's a, an elite shooter, both off the catch and off the bounce. Um But even that being said, I don't know if I would have expected him to average over 20 a game like he's doing so far and be, uh, ACC player of the year front runner. I I knew that that was possibility, but yeah, until you really saw the the keys be handed to him, there's always going to be a little bit of doubt. That's like what what exactly is his ceiling as, you know, the go-to guy on the perimeter and uh, he's been sensational this year and just a ton of fun to watch.
2: It feels like anyone who's followed Carolina basketball for the course of the past couple of years, Armando Bacot ha- has been the guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And this year, you know, talking about Davis feels a little different. feels feels like Davis is maybe 1A to Baycott 1B. How have you sort of seen Baycott's game grow and evolve specific to this year? And, Donnie, and good thing that's you didn't – oh,
1: okay, all right. You said roll, and I was going to make an Outer Banks joke, but I'll I'll plead the I'll, – I'll <laughs> No more
3: my no Outer Banks cameos I'll hold my for
2: Armando. Yeah. <laughs>
3: well it's funny like the the team was I mean Armando's especially if you ever cover a UNC game or see him in a postseason tournament he's honest he doesn't really hold back when he's talking to the media and you know that's that's why he's sort of endeared himself both to fans and media alike like he will uh, there have been times like he will give you a good quote if you're trying to write a story, story or if you want a good like clip to, to get you some engagement on, on social media like Armando's your guy because he, he does keep it real and he's said like multiple times this year that Last offseason was really odd for the team, or the offseason going into the 2022 23 season when they missed the tournament. Um, because they were doing a bunch of NIL stuff, they weren't all together as a team as much. Like he was out, you know, doing his outer bank shooting and everything. Um, and I don't know if he's directly said, like, that was part of what led to the downfall of Carolina last year, but it, he sort of implied it. And I think conversely this year, this off season, they were, I mean, the team seems to have bonded really well from the start of the summer and everybody was in Chapel Hill sort of through like May through August. Um, but yeah, it's been good. I know he slimmed down about 15 pounds from last year. It seemed like he sort of, Spent the first like throughout the Atlantis tournament and that UConn Kentucky game was sort of figuring out how to play at this weight against high level competition. Um, because he's I, recently he settled back into his role as like this supercharged garbage man, and that's something else he's described himself as a garbage man before. Like he, he feasts on the, the dirty work, he feasts on getting offensive boards. Like his defense has been, I think, on a different level this conference play, especially. Um, again, I referenced the pit game earlier, but he got switched on to Carlton, uh, Carrington. couple times and locked him up like uh he's protecting the paint he's been just excellent at even he's up to i think he has i want to say he's if he doesn't he might already have as many blocks on this year as he had all of last year and if he doesn't already he's close to it so um yeah i think he's the perfect big man to pair along with a with a high volume scoring guard like rj davis where he's there to clean up the misses Uh,
1: all right, so a couple of things that you've said, Riley, I think play really well into setting up the matchup here. Tips at noon tomorrow. You talked about Baycott guarding the paint, and you've talked about UNC's change in pick-and-roll defense. Well, Judah Mintz and Quidire Copeland, Syracuse's two most ball-dominant players over the past couple games, have gotten almost all of their opportunities off of driving and attacking the paint or working the pick-and-roll and dumping it off to Malik Brown, or a shooter. So how do you see North Carolina trying to contain Mince and Copeland?
3: Uh, I think like kind of doing what they did against NC state, they were able to force their guards into tough mid range shots. Um, They were able to, wall off a big man like DJ Burns. And I think you probably want to deny Malik Brown as much as you can too. Um, Cause at least what it did against NC state, the the Wolfpack got some open shots. They got some clean looks, but it just, they still looked out of rhythm based on how Carolina disrupted like the, the primary action there. And I won't lie to you. I think Judah Mintz is one of the scariest guards in the country going downhill. Like he just draws a ton of fouls. He's super athletic. He's got good size. Um, Carolina has a smaller backcourt with Cadeau and and RJ Davis but again, like those two have just played so well defensively, like in recent games, to where it doesn't concern me nearly as much as it did a few weeks ago. Um, Starling's another guy with size. I actually want to hear what if, what are y'all's opinion on Starling because I know he came in five star pedigree. Like, uh, I don't I don't know if you happen to hear like me and Jacob Karabats is my co host with the Pot as the Roof, we did like a mini ACC preview before the year, and we were like Syracuse might be a top four team in this league just based on that backcourt alone. Johnny,
2: I think it's the kind of thing I brought this up on the podcast earlier where it it was a little bit of an adjustment for him initially going from kind of being the guy at Notre Dame Mm -hmm. to sort of taking that little bit of not a backseat role, but not necessarily being the top guy on opposing team scouting reports. Um, I think he's sort of grown as the season has gone on, just, just from an eye test standpoint looking a little Mm -hmm. more comfortable out there not trying to do too much not trying to force it and can play that real complimentary type style basketball to the judas the copelands of the world so he Mm -hmm. hasn't necessarily done it consistently but i think you've seen the growth and that's the important thing
1: the other thing about starling is that he had a shoulder surgery at notre dame that really messed up his shooting and i think Mm -hmm. he's growing back into his three point shot and getting comfortable with that. I mean, let's be clear the guards of Syracuse do not shoot the three pointer well. And against NC State, I watched a bit of that game. You know, North Carolina State's guards will take every single open mid range you give them. Like Red Autry is pretty much drilled into Syracuse's players. You are not taking a mid range jump shot unless you get a flyby or you have to. So Syracuse mm-hmm. will constantly go at the rim, even if it's Copeland Euro stepping into three different Carolina blue jerseys they that's just what's going to happen there is there's really no I think like none of the guards have a tendency to just walk into a three or mm-hmm. shoot a shoot one from 28 feet like no no one's doing that
0: mm-hmm
2: I wanted to ask you, Riley, about Malik Brown from a Syracuse standpoint, someone who has really come into his own and has Orange fans very excited, much like Copeland, um, over the course of the past couple of games. Specific to Baycott, um, you know, 6'11 going up against 6'8, has Armando had that test yet this year where he's had to deal with the guy who maybe is a little more quicker, maybe is a little more agile? I know you mentioned he slimmed down this past offseason. But, you know, Mm -hmm. talking earlier about matchups, how do you see that playing out down low in terms of Baycott having to deal with a big man with a little bit of a different skill set than he might be accustomed to? Yeah,
3: uh, I mean, this is not meant as a shot on Malik Brown at all. He's someone who has really impressed me this year with his athleticism, and I think he's expanded his game as well. Um, Someone I was actually, when I watched, you know, when I watched Syracuse last year and seeing players like Chris Bell, Malik Brown, even Justin Taylor, who I know has sort of been up and down from a shooting, uh, from like a, a shooting element, but has some pedigree to him. I, I kind of thought like maybe Bayheim would stick around another year. Cause he had a pretty good is, is Brown the same class as them? Is he a sophomore? Yeah, They're all okay. sophomores. Like mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. the
1: entire team is sophomore. Yeah.
3: It was, I kind of was expecting Bayheim to want to stick it out one more year to see if he could see what he could get out of these, out of these sophomores. But, um, yeah, I would just like even looking at the game against Clemson, where PJ Hall, you know, he's a different player than Malik Brown, but he's that same type of elite footwork type big, and and Baycott was able to really take him out of the game. Um, and on the other end, I like if I was a Syracuse fan, I'd be a little bit worried about how how uh, Malik Brown's able to hold up against Baycott just with the with the size advantage there. Um, now Armando doesn't have like a deep post bag or anything, but he he can back you down. And he can and he can grab his own miss if he if he misses that first shot attempt. Uh but yeah, I am with y'all. It's gonna be interesting to to kind of monitor that and see if like, you know, is it gonna be the size of ACOT or the, the athleticism of Malik Brown that sort of wins out?
1: Yeah, Brown had no problem stopping Quentin Post. I mean, BC made a total mm-hmm. mess of trying to get the ball inside. They turned it over like 24 times or something like that. But, I mean, he handled Filipowski well. I saw it in person. He out-physicaled Filipowski and got him out, his, mm-hmm. got him out of his game. And Post, too, looked completely, completely. Post
2: didn't have a, a made field goal.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. that w- that was a really intriguing matchup to keep an eye on.
3: Third thing yeah, for
1: – Post uh, is,
3: Go ahead. I was just going to say, Post is really good, too. Like, yeah. I don't think non-ACC folks realize that. Like, that dude is a stud. So, that, that's really impressive that he was able to hold him down. To- over for 4 from the field so
1: yeah he's just really good at poking the ball like post would catch it bring it down and immediately brown is is shooting his hand in there that that's Jeez, what he, excels he had at.
3: four blocks and four steals that game what an that's an insane stat line yeah let's
1: let's circle back to unc's guard play and cadeau who you've mentioned is playing well for a reclassed freshman point guard for anyone who's a little behind the times reclassifying is when you skip your senior year of high school and roll early. So Cadeau is probably what, I mean, who knows, maybe he skipped a year and now is reclassifying to be in the proper age class. Am I, am I right there, Riley? So he's 18,
3: maybe 19. He's he's 19. So he was older for his class. Um, But yeah.
1: So he's still, he's still young and he's tasked with the with the point guard position and Syracuse's guards are not afraid, especially Judah Mintz to get in someone's face. And try to get them out of the game. How do you see
3: Cadeau handling that? How's Cadeau handling like the pressure of the Syracuse yeah. guards? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, recently again, I like the the best version of Cadot. Well, maybe I shouldn't say the best version. The Best version we've seen so far was in the Tennessee game, where I mentioned it earlier. Tennessee' zero turnovers, and he he handled that like that pressure like it was one of us trying to guard him. It was so impressive. Like he was it it was like you would not have thought that it was Zakai Ziegler, who's been just a premier on ball pest the past what three seasons now who was guarding him. It it literally looked like I was trying to stop him. And he just did a basic dribble move and got around it. Since then he's had some moments where he's coughed up the ball, even at some inopportune times to where, you know, if he if he overlooks this matchup or it's like approaches it casually, yeah, he's gonna get his pocket picked. Um he even had a he had a bad turnover in the first half against NC State as well. Um, but yeah, what he showed that second half, like I don't know if y'all saw the – he had a, a pass to Armando Bacot off of a pick-and-roll in traffic at about the six-minute mark where it put Carolina up either 11 or 13 and really put the game out of reach. That was like the, the angle of this pass. Like I don't know how many guards in the country are attempting it, and he, he completes it, leads to Armando Dunk. So, um, yeah, I, I think generally turnovers aren't – they're – you know, there's still that freshman element. But I think, again, for a reclass guard,
2: he's, he's acquitted himself pretty nicely on that front. Riley, look at the games this year that have not gone Carolina's way. And we'll preface it with there haven't mm. been many of them, only the three, all on neutral courts, <laughs> as we mentioned off the top of the show. All,
1: all against really good teams. All Villanova, against really Villanova's good teams. Villanova's figuring well. it out. Uh, even with even with uh, Justin Moore out, Villanova's figuring it out.
2: Villanova, UConn, Kentucky, their three losses. The question, though, I guess, Riley, is this. You look at those three games, was there any sort of common denominators that if you're a Syracuse fan, you're hoping that the Orange can kind of replicate? I know Carolina doesn't play a ton of up-tempo. We talked earlier about how Mintz loves to get downhill and Syracuse is Uh not afraid to run. What does Syracuse need to do, and is there anything they can look at from those three losses to, to try to put together a similar type performance?
3: definitely turn UNC over, which again, like they've taken good care of the basketball for the most part this year. But, um, yeah, if you apply some pressure, try to un- like, get them a little, uh, wound up, uh, maybe a little loose with the ball. Um, man, I'm trying to even think back, like, with with the uh, it was a while UCon- ago, so it makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> <laughs> with the UConn game, it was just like that motion offense they run, and that was when Carolina was switching everything. And the slightest miscommunication, it's like oh, another open three, another open three. Um, in. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, I think Hughes needs to they need someone to step up and make some threes cuz i know they haven't been a great shooting team this year like justin taylor kind of needs to go nuclear maybe he will maybe it'll be like a revenge game because unc recruited justin taylor and backed off him and basically said like yeah we don't like we're going to go another direction so maybe that's fresh on his mind um and controlling the glass like I think Carolina has been a lot better recently. Like these past four games, it's four straight games of out-rebounding their opponent. Uh, One was Charleston Southern, throw that one out. We'll say three straight games. Um, But yeah, the, like early on in the season, those three losses happened when Carolina lost the rebounding battle, where they gave up some threes and where they
1: turned the ball over. Well, tough task for Syracuse, Carolina, top 15 in the country in offensive efficiency, top 10 in defensive efficiency, not turning it over per Riley Davis. And, of course, the Orange in the Dean Dome on Saturday at noon. Riley, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you. Appreciate you all. Catch him on Twitter, Riley underscore Davis 3. And check out The Pod Is The Roof for any more Carolina content.